talking with the Haggai today. Um, some people, the pronunciation, we check, I check numerous pronunciations. Some say Haggai, some say Haggai, uh, some say Haggai, and numerous ways that you say it, but so we're going to go with, with Haggai. Is that okay? But that's where, we're, that's where we're dealing with here this morning. Now, let me give you the picture, all right? Um, King David had a son, and his name was Solomon. Solomon. All right? Solomon is king. He's charged with a responsibility, and that is to build the temple. And so David has procured all the material possessions necessary, all the gold, all the silver, all the lumber. Solomon, all you have to do, buddy, is to build it. Okay. Now, David was not able to be there during the construction because he died. Well, when they got the temple built, got the temple built, people, people, the Israelites, as we would say, they decided that, hey, we're going to rebel. And so they began to mix a little bit of other gods, idols in to worship, and uh, tried to, to do a compromise with God. Now, now God's not going to put up long with our compromise. There's only one God. His name is Jehovah. And there's only one person going to sit on his throne in your life, and that's going to be him and no one else. Well, the Babylonians, God said, okay, I'm going to open the door. Babylonians came in. They attacked Judah, and they destroyed the entire city of Jerusalem, and they took down the temple. I mean, totally destroyed it. And so now they get ready to rebuild it. Haggai comes along and he said, the time is now. Now, you get into this message. Haggai, Haggai was a minor prophet. And uh, we know that, that in the wake of the challenges that he was facing, God gave him a message. Now, the people of God, uh, like we often do, had reached another season in their life. You and I go through seasons. I've been married 52 years now, uh, so I've gone through a season. I am more than 50 years of age. I, I've gone through a season. Uh, but, but here's a lot of people, what often they say, I thought I'd be further down the road at this stage in my life than I am now. Or maybe you have a job. You've been there for 15 years, and you think, I thought I'd be further down the road in the positions on this job by now, but it didn't happen. Or you own your own business. You think, man, I thought I'd be banked more money than I've been able to bank so far. Uh, you know, I, I just thought we'd be further down the road. Well, I, I got my degree, and I thought the degree that I had when I graduated the university was a degree that would serve me well. But I got to tell you, not much interest in the degree that I have. Or here's what, I got married. I thought I'd be further down the road to matrimonial bliss than I am now. But we had kids. Oh, the joy of children. I thought, my Lord, we'd have such well-behaved children that my kids, we'd be farther down the road with our kids today. Let me tell you, get rid of your kids. Enjoy the grandkids. That's the most important. You know I'm playing with you there for a moment. You see, that was the mood of the people in Haggai's day. 
They thought we, we thought we ought to be further down the road spiritually and in this situation. Well, here's the backstory. In the fourth year of the reign of King Solomon, he started construction on that temple. And he did well. Got it built. And boy, people from afar came. And we know that when they came, they looked at it and they thought, wow, look at that temple. Most amazing thing I've ever seen. But Solomon eventually died. And what did the people do? They became distracted and no longer, Solomon didn't hold the, hold the point like his father did. But when he died, the people got further away, distracted from God. And it didn't matter, worshiping idols more and more and more and more. So in 587 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar came and he crushed the southern kingdom of Judah. He destroyed the temple and completely destroyed the city to this degree that there was nothing left for the Israelites to be able to look around Jerusalem and see anything that would remind them of when the temple was there or when Jehovah God was worshiped. So it wasn't like you could take your child in a later generation, let's go, let's go to downtown Jerusalem, let's go to the Temple Mount. That's where nothing was there. They took everything that would acknowledge Jehovah away for nobody, no one to be able to see. And to add insult to injury, we know that they went further back away from God. Further back. Well, they were in uh, captivity for 50 years. And nothing that they knew before captivity was acknowledged. No worship of Jehovah. Nothing. No cross. No nothing was there. It was, they were under captivity. There was nothing. They had no control of anything. They were told as slaves when to get up, how much to work, what to do. The children that were born in captivity never knew what freedom was. They never knew what it was to be free. But time lapsed after, after 50 years, 538 B.C., 50,000 of those in captivity were allowed to travel back to Jerusalem and to Judah and to rebuild the temple. 50,000 got to go back home with one mission. We're going to let you rebuild your temple. Well, there was excitement among the entire population. We get to rebuild finally the temple of God, the temple that, that we walked away from God, and now we get to rebuild it. They built the foundation, and they got the altar built. And buddy, they're working hard. Look at the foundation. That's, that's the temple and look at look look here, the altar's up. And then the Samaritans came along. And the Samaritans said, You are not going to rebuild it. We're going to aggravate you. We're going to get in your way. We're going to stop you. We're going to, we're just going to bother you. So you're just going to stop. You know what the you know what the people of God did? They said, Hey, we're tired of this opposition. Seems like that must not be God's will. Must not be God's will for us to be engaged because we've got opposition now. You see, they were accustomed to the routineness of their life in slavery. They were accustomed to having nothing, being responsible for nothing other than getting up. So they absolutely stopped. And the only thing that was left was the foundation and the altar. And for 14 years, that's the way it was. No building, just a foundation. And just an altar. 
Well, what did they do? They started rebuilding their own houses. They thought if we're not rebuilding the temple, then here's what, we're going to rebuild our own homes. And so all of a sudden, in the midst of building their own homes, and in that type of construction, here comes Haggai along, and this is what he said, it's time to rebuild and complete the temple. Time to do it, guys. Time to shape back up 14 years of nothing. We're going to work. Haggai 1 verse, uh, verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time is not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Haggai said it's time to rebuild. They said, no, it's not. We don't want the opposition. We're doing fine building our own houses. Now, I want you to notice something. Every time in the Scripture in the Old Testament, usually you would hear God refer to the people of God as my people. Now, if you notice carefully in Haggai 1 verse 2, the Lord Almighty says, these people. That's different. Not my people, but these people. How do I illustrate that? Here it is. Dad comes home. Mom is a stay-at-home worker, caretaker of the kids. Dad comes home at 6 o'clock. He walks in, and he can tell things are not going well in the house for that day. His wife walks up to him after he drops his pail or his hat or his briefcase or whatever the case, and she walks up. There was no, honey, I'm so glad you're home. There was no hug. There was no, I miss you. She said to him directly when he walked in the door, I want you to look and see what your kids did today. I want you to notice how your kids have been misbehaving like your family misbehaves. I want you to know that it's chipped off the old block. It's your kids. It wasn't our kids. It's your kids. And this is what God says. These people, not my people, these people have not paid attention to me. The Samaritans were opposing them. You see, in our lives, often when we're walking with God, as God said to Solomon, I want you to walk with me. When the way gets tough and we run into a wall, uh, we think that must not be the will of God. That, that can't be the will of God. And, and let me say, this is Facebook-worthy, Instagram, Twitter, tweeter, tweeter. The closer you get to God, the greater your opposition will be. The more dedicated you are to God and His church, the more challenge you'll have in your business, the more challenge you'll have in your family, the more challenge you'll have in your life. Well, I'll tell you what, if that's it, I don't want to get close. Well, and let me just tell you about the other side of that coin. One day you're going to get in trouble and you're going to need a lifesaver. And that lifesaver is going to say, hey, there's a long distance between us. You see, the bottom line, he says, take up your cross and follow after him. In other words, everything that happens to you that doesn't feel good usually is there to help mature you and grow you. You're receiving opposition isn't a sign that God is against you. Many times it's a sign that you're doing what God wants you to do. There have been times in my life I get worried if nobody opposes me. Someone, does, if I don't get an email once in a while and whatever else, then I, I get a little nervous. It's when nobody 
is disagreeing with me. That's when I get nervous. And here's what I say about that. If you haven't run into the devil today already, it's because you and the devil are going in the same direction. But otherwise, you'll run smack head on with him in your daily walk with God if you're worth your salt at all. Now, with God's help, this is the point of the message, with God's help, here it is, choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Pray, God, with your help, empower me to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. It would be easy to quit focusing on God and start focusing on yourself. That's the, that's the easy wrong. It would be easy to say that the Samaritans are opposing us. That's the easy wrong. The hard right would have been, we don't care what opposition they bring. We have been instructed to build this temple, and that's what we're going to do. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. There are many decisions in your life every single day. It would be easy when someone hurts you for you to just let that grudge be there, and you contain that anger on the inside. It would be easy to be easy, easy, easy wrong than to do the hard right and say, God, I forgive them in the name of Jesus. I'm going to pray for them every day. The hard right is to do what God desires for you to do. You see, think with me for a moment maybe about some unfinished assignment in your life. And you know that God has instructed you to do this. To choose the easy wrong, you can make up a ton of excuses. Well, time's getting away, or I don't have the time or I don't have everything that I need to do it, so you haven't even started. It's the easy wrong to do. You know what the hard right is? I'm going to get into fasting and praying, and I'm going to hear God give me a clarion, clarion call, and I'm going to do what God has called me to do, no matter how hard it might be. Or maybe in your life, what privilege did you see in your life? At one time in an altar when the Spirit gripped your heart, and said, I'm, I'm asking you to do this. I'm asking you to go there. I'm asking you to give that sacrificial offering to that need or that person. You say, it'd be an easy right, but God, but God, but God. An easy, easy, easy wrong instead of doing the hard right. Yes, Lord, what do you want me to do? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Maybe there's a burden in your life, on your life at one time. You think, what is that burden or call on your heart? You say, it's, it's really, it's an easy wrong to get bogged down in life and climb the ladder and we're doing well. And man, to quit now and to take a hard right and sacrifice to fulfill the will of God. But Haggai had something to say in Haggai 1.3. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. I want you to notice this. Is it a time for you yourself to be living in your paneled houses while my house remains in ruin? Do you know why y'all were released to come and rebuild the temple? As I intervened. In the Babylonian mines, 50,000 of you came. You got started, you got the foundation, you got the altar built, and then the Samaritans. They came along and they've interrupted you and that stopped you. That's the easy wrong. Just to sit back 
well, we got all this time, we've got all this material, we'll start building our own houses. And Haggai said, thus saith the Lord, how is it that my temple is embarrassing over there to look at, and you're building your nice paneled houses? I checked paneled housing. Here's what it meant. Paneled housing was a high-end house. Paneled house was one that was very, very nice. It had granite countertops as opposed to Formica. The high-end paneled house had crown molding up there. Rather than just this drywall meets this drywall, and you got to paint and leave that. But oh, they got crown molding there. Not only that, they had their own dedicated television room with the largest screen television you could ever imagine. He said, your paneled houses. And then you also had a faucet. You don't have to turn on, you just speak and say, water, please. Now listen, are you saying there's something wrong with having nice things? I'll say it, sum it up this way. God doesn't mind us having nice things. Amen. But what he does not want is for nice things to have us. It's what he doesn't want. I don't want nice things to have you. And then this is what he said. Give careful thought of your ways. That's a good message for today. Give careful thought. In other words, take long enough to take a look and ask yourself, how am I doing? Where are you headed? What's your path? Is your focus still keenly on doing the will of God? Or have you enjoyed such success that that's taken you off focus a little? Give careful thought of your ways. And that was interesting. He said often that is a place of security and comfort that's there. That we say, the better it gets, the less likely we are to give it up for the Lord. Are you consumed with you and what you want as opposed to putting God ahead of your desire? Have you been accustomed to making decisions for the easy wrong that you couldn't hardly make a hard right decision? It would be difficult to make a hard right decision. It's not always easy to do what we know to do and what we're convicted to do. Had a minister friend who, who pastors a big ch church, several thousand, planted several churches, and uh, he said, "I'd go to work pastoring, and I'd go to work, and I'd get into Bible study and devotions and, and counseling with people and reading and preparing sermons and going through all the routines. And when I came in at night, I'm ready to I'm ready to leave the minister thing at the door and just be a husband, be a father." Be normal, you know. I guess that means if you're a minister, you're abnormal all day. But uh, at any rate, he said, that's what I wanted to be. He said, my problem was my wife was a prayer warrior. He said, she didn't really get cranked up in prayer until I got home. And so she said to me one time, she said, you know what? You need to dig deeper in your prayer life. He said, I said, hey, listen, that's what I do all day long. 
all the way long. I'm in the Bible. I'm studying. I'm devotions. I'm praying. I'm counseling. I'm doing this. That's what I do. You need to pray more. Okay. He said, we decided to go and sitting there and the house was quieted down. I think he had six kids. So it had to be later in the evening. And we started praying. He said, I, I prayed for all 10,000 people or members of our church. I prayed for many of the hospital needs that I had on my, on my iPhone. I prayed for all the kids, all the family. I prayed for all the missionaries. I thought I was doing pretty good. I got to the place that I prayed out. I'm prayed out. He said, I stopped long enough to hear her praying. He said, she was still telling God how much she loved him, how wonderful he was. She hadn't even got to the needs yet. She's still telling God. He said, well, my Lord, have mercy. You know, what am I? She hadn't even got to the needs yet. Wow. He said, I'm prayed out. She must have said, well, you need to pray up. My point is this. That sometimes the things that we overlook, sometimes we get in the routineness of life that it's easy to make decisions that have no consequence. It's easy to make the easy wrong, but it's hard to often do the right thing, the hard right, when you know in your heart that's what you need to do. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. So here's what Haggai was saying. Hey, you guys, you guys need to do what God says. And then he goes on with this. Haggai 1 verse 6. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. In other words, what does that mean today? You're working your fingers to the bone and you're not getting ahead. You're doing everything that you can to say, man, every time I turn around, I hope to put savings in, but then you can buy a new car and I want to do something great for God. And then you add on to your house. You just on and on and on and on. I thought I'd be further along than I am. I am now. And God looks at us. He said, you be careful of your ways. He said, you eat nice food, but it doesn't help you do anything. You take your money and you store it in a purse, but that money that belongs to God, we call the tithe and an offering. He said, you put it in a purse, but there are holes in it. And like sand, it just goes through the purse. So you don't get to keep it. And you're wondering what your life looking like. Haggai 1.7, this is what the Lord Almighty says, then doing what you do, give careful thought to your way. Now, God speaks through Haggai and he says, here's what I want you to do. This is how we're going to do it. I want you to go up into the mountain. I want you to bring down the timber. I want you to build my house so that I may take pleasure in it. And be honored, says the Lord. That's a big deal, says the Lord. Go up into the mountain, bring the timber down, and build my house, my temple. That doesn't sound so overwhelming, does it? 
No. Say, go up into the mountain. Here's what I know. You go up and you say, I want to go up the mountain, and you hike 100 yards. Now, to begin with, you're breathing normally. Your nose is not running. Your ears are not ringing. Your body's not shaking. But after 100 yards going up the mountain, you say, man, this thing is steeper than what I thought. You know, my Lord Jesus, thank you for Florida. I don't have any mountains to climb. No, go on up the mountain. Those are the words. What was he saying? Hey, you're going to do the hard right. Go up the mountain and keep walking. Oh, my Lord. I'm going to need me a cane or something to help get up this. Not as, not as many people, I admit, are as in good a shape as I am to climb those kind of mountains. Here's what else he said. Get the timber. Cut the trees down. Now, by this time, here's what people do. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm climbing this mountain, and now you want me to cut the trees down. Wait a minute, God, on one of the places I've chosen to rest. That's step one, two, and three. I, I want you to tell me what step four, five, and six is. I mean, I, I want to know if I'm having to climb this mountain, cut trees down, to be, tell me what I'm going to be surprised with in step four, five, and six. It goes like this. How much is this going to cost? How long is this going to take? How much time am I going to have to give to it? How much you think I have, God, if, if I'm willing to do it, I need to know step four, five, and six. And Lord, if you don't mind, if I'm doing all this and this sacrifice, I need to know if my family's name's going to be on the little prayer room over in the temple. But you know what God always does? Don't ever forget this. That when you start steps one, two, and three, often God won't tell you what step four is until you're almost complete with step three. So if you ever want to know what step four is, you're going to have to accomplish one, two, three. And this is where the people, when the Samaritans attacked, they quit. They did step one, two, and in the middle of three, the Samaritans came and opposed them. And the easy wrong was walk away. And there may be some things in your life that you've gotten to step three or almost there. There may be some circumstance or some calling on your life that you were able to accomplish step one, two, and three. But you don't get to see the beauty of the fulfillment of the total plan until you take step four, five, and six. Those are action steps. Steps of faith that are there. That's where the sacrifice is. That's where the beauty of completion is. That's where you feel like, look what God has done. Maybe you're in the middle and you say, my marriage is on the rocks. We counsel with people like that. My marriage is on the rocks. You know, I do step one, two, and three and all of that. What do I need to do? Learn to say I'm sorry. Learn to put your pride at the door. 
Learn to say, let's work together. Learn to pray together. I apologize. Remain humble. Do some of the things you did when you dated, like maybe write her a love note or him a love note, or, or you might buy flowers. The last time I got her flowers, she threw them right back in my face. Take them to your mother then. Well, I can't afford flowers. I can't afford them. The cemetery is right over there, friend. In other words, you will always have plenty of excuses in step one, two, and three to do the easy wrong. Delta Mike building a phenomenal ministry in Africa. They went through steps one, two, and three, but there came a time when it's time to do step four. Time to do step five. It's called fish or cut bait. But it's only in times of four, five, and six, and then to seven that you learn. Had we not stayed true, this person would never come to faith and would have never known the love of Jesus Christ. You see, now let me, let me bring us to a landing. We're not charged to walk beside God. It's not Elvis Presley. I'll never walk alone. We're charged to follow God. We don't deserve to walk beside him. You follow me. Follow me. And when you follow God, you'll see God's plan for your life and your family come to life. Will you still have Samaritans hanging around? Absolutely. Some of them are related to you. Will you still see the heartache? Absolutely. Well, some need an oxygen mask on up the mountains. Not enough that we have to go up this mountain, much less haul you around. You see, when you're acting through the power of obedience, you just do what God says do. And you don't worry about the outcome because the outcome is God's responsibility. And when you breathe your last breath, you need to say and be able to say, I did with my life what was pleasing to my heavenly father. You know what? Maybe you have something in your life that's plaguing you, something that's in the way. It's not a Samaritan, but it's a past pain, a past hurt, a past event that just keeps tacking away at you. You say, well, if that hadn't happened, I'd be further wrong than I am now. Life happens. I don't know what I'm doing right now. I'll tell you what, this COVID's got me scared to death. Perfect love cast out all fear. Amen. Remember I said pray for wisdom and you behave in wisdom? I didn't say go out there and say, COVID, here I am, a blood-washed child of God. You don't stand at the door of Walmart and say, breathe on me. 
That's not what you do. You do what you know you need to do. And then you pray for the hand of God to rest on you. Come on, somebody. You guys online say amen out there somewhere. So what did he say? You look at your ways, and then finally, you put it on the altar. Well, I put that on the altar, Pastor. I put a lot of stuff on the altar. And a lot of times I went back and got it. Anybody with me? But what do you keep doing? You just keep putting it back on the altar. Put it right back on the altar. Put it back on the altar. You put it on the altar. And eventually here's what will happen. You'll mature enough in your spirit walk that you will be able one day to leave it there. And when you leave it there, His love and His power will pick you up. You see, we make the right, the hard right. I had a friend of mine that he was learned how to ride a uh, motorcycle, Harley Davidson, and um, but somehow or another he had problems making right turns, or pardon me, left turns. He couldn't make a left turn. It's like I'm, we were on a curve, pretty sharp curve, and I, I look up and he's up on the edge of the highway and fighting to make it through because it was left. He's having to go left. I'm saying he's going to hit the barbed wire fence and get ripped up. We got to a major intersection that the intersection, a four-way stop that was in, in my bed, about as big as the inside of this church. Plenty of room. He hit the curb. He hit the curb. It threw him over the visor on his bike, cut him up. Went back to help him. And then I thought, and that was in Winter Haven. I thought, how am I going to get him back to Lakeland without making any left-hand turns? So I figured a way, a route that would be all right-hand turns, and got him back where we needed to be. Let me say, Making the hard right is the only way to bring glory and honor to God. Making easy, wrong decisions will exalt you, but it will not exalt God. Would you stand, Heavenly Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for the power of your Holy Spirit. I thank you in this room right now is the glory and the honor of God. And I sense in my heart today, there are many people, God, who, who've been making a lot of easy wrongs, just easy wrong. But today you're challenging them to just straighten up and get ready to make some hard right decisions. A hard right, a hard right. Father, I pray that you would forgive us and minister in and through us. And maybe some, their heart is not totally in tune. God, maybe some things that we should have done. Maybe there's some gift that we should have given. Maybe there's some money that we should have sacrificed that we haven't done. 
But in Jesus' name, Father, you're taking control right now by the power of your Spirit. Would you ask, would you repeat this prayer after me, all of you? Can you do that? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ. You're the Son of the living God. You died for me, and I know that you love me. I confess my sins. I believe by faith. I am forgiven. Please forgive me. Come into my heart and let me make right choices that bring honor to you. And Father God, the decisions that I need to make, that I've been afraid to make, let me make the hard right for your honor and glory in Jesus name amen let me let you know that Wednesday night we're here live as usual so you pray with us encourage your church family my friend encourage one another in the Lord let's be careful to behave and to do as God would direct us amen one more little worship song and then we'll give the benediction.